The Apostle Paul says in um, Ephesians chapter 3, that we're looking at this morning, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, but now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. And here it is, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what we're about to look into and we're about to study. Lord, let it just sink deep into our hearts and transform us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. And um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will bring you a Bible. For our visitors, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. But what I want to talk to you this morning is as in our verse-by-verse verse study through the book of Ephesians is being on a mission. We had the men's conference this weekend, and um, Ken Graves was there, and he was amazing. But the thing that stood out to me the most about Ken Graves, he talked about we don't live on feelings. He was hammering that home to the men. We don't live on feelings. We live on mission we live with purpose we live with a sense of knowing exactly what we're supposed to be doing as Christians so that's what we're looking at this morning in Ephesians chapter 3 being on a mission what comes to your mind when you hear that when you hear the phrase a man on a mission what what, what comes to your mind ladies don't leave don't this is for you also because Galatians 3:28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So, ladies, are you on mission as well as the men? What comes to our mind when we think man on mission? You know, I think it's someone that's focused, someone that's in the zone, someone that knows their purpose. A lot of times, uh, people that will come to our mind are, are athletes. Athletes are on a mission, on a purpose to to conquer and, and, and play their sport. Movie stars, we, that's the big one we see in movies. We see people on mission. I think about Denzel Washington, the man on a mission, where he goes out there to rescue, I think it was his daughter, I believe so. His daughter got kidnapped, and he was a man on a mission. He was going to go rescue his daughter. I think about people in the military, people in the military, they go on missions. I think about uh, people in high school and college. You're on a mission to graduate. You know what you're there for. And the same can be said of the Christian walk, of the believer's walk. We should know why we are here. Now, if you've been following us in our verse-by-verse -verse study through Ephesians, we saw in, what do we see in Ephesians chapter 1? The, the key verse in Ephesians chapter 1, I don't know, it's somewhere right around verse 7 or 8, but it's where Paul says, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. God had Dalton on his mind before the foundation of the world, that he was going to pluck you out of darkness and bring you into his glorious light. But then we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it describes our predicament, that we were dead in our sins. We were lost. 
we were in utter darkness. A couple weeks ago, I related it to the Morana Trench, the lowest point on earth, where there's utter black darkness, and that's where we were. But God raised us up and has given us this new life in Christ. And then at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, we saw where Jesus has broken down the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that application can be made to all people groups. Regardless of uh, where you're from, what country, whatever your background is, what brings us all together is Jesus. And so now we come to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to see two things in this chapter. We're going to do something we haven't done in a long time. We're going to make it the whole entire chapter. Because I really believe they go. this whole chapter goes together. We could have split it in half, but the first half of Ephesians chapter 3 is Paul's mission. What he was on mission to do. And the second half of Ephesians chapter 3 is Paul's prayer for the believers, which includes you and I. So let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, everything we just talked about, him raising us from the, him, him raising us out of darkness and bringing us into this glorious light, in light of our salvation, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. The first thing I see here in verses 1 and 2 is this. Paul was on a mission. Paul was on a mission according to verses 1 and 2. He was on a mission to bring grace, in verse 2, to the Gentiles in verse 1. He was on a mission to bring grace. That was what his whole entire life, after he got saved, that was the focus. We see it in the book of Acts. Three missionary journeys, a trip to Rome, and that we even believe there was times after the book of Acts, which was when Ephesians was written. Actually, the book of Acts closes with Paul going into house arrest at Rome. And it was after those final two verses in the book of Acts that he wrote um, Ephesians. But that was what consumed him, that he was a man on a mission. And again, this verse can be applied to men and to women according to Galatians 3.28. We're all believers in Christ. We're all on a mission to serve him. The question we have to ask, these Gentiles in verse 1, look back at chapter 2, verse 12. Look back at chapter 2, verse 12. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Why did he need to bring them grace? Look back at verse 12 of chapter 2. He says, remember that you were... At that time, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, he is talking about the Gentile world that hadn't received the gospel, but he's also talking about you and I. Because you and I, if you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. We are fruits of what began 2,000 years ago. This spreading of the gospel, this bringing us into the kingdom. We're no longer separated from Christ, but we're believers. We're, in the, we're not excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We're in the kingdom of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. We, we have hope. We have hope. And most importantly, we have God in our lives. Paul was a man on a mission. Are we on mission? Now, we all have our focuses in life, our careers, our jobs. But what is our spiritual mission in life? What is your eternal mission in ever how much time you have left here on earth? Some of us have a lot. Some of us have a little. But what is your mission? 
our mission is to bring the grace of God to those people around us and let them know the love of Christ. Let them know that they can be born again, that they can be received by God through faith in Jesus Christ to bring grace to people. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, we're going to see this mission came by revelation. And we need revelation today. Verse 3, that, the revel- that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. So Paul's mission came by revelation. That revelation is found in Acts chapter 9 where Paul's on the road to Damascus. He was going to stomp out Christians. And Jesus appears to him and transforms him, knocks him to the ground, blinds him. He spends three years in Arabia becoming a disciple. But it was through that revelation that the scales fell and, and this new life came. Scholars believe that uh, if you, they've looked at maps and they've calculated the distance he traveled on his three missionary journeys on this trip to Rome. And they say that Paul traveled 10,282 miles in those trips. What kept him going? What kept him going on this mission? It was that he had a revelation. He knew the gospel to be true. He knew the life-transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, you and I need to have revelation. Now, wait a minute, babe, what are you talking about? Do I need to see a blinding light from heaven? You got something better than a blinding light from heaven. You have God's word. You have the written revelation of of God. But how do we get that from our our heads to our hearts? How do we get that? How how does that become real inside of us? A couple ways. One is by meditating on the word of God. Meditating on the Bible and praying and saying, Holy Spirit, please open my eyes. Please open my heart as you study it. And let it become real. Let Let the words of scripture sink into your heart, become real in your life, and walk in that. And then once you understand, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. We're not serving a lie. We're serving the truth. We're serving a Jesus who is real. And once that becomes real, once there's that revelation, it changes everything. It changes the way we live our lives. It changes the way we affect people. It changes us in our witness at work, in our witness at home. It does everything by having a revelation. We need it. Paul had it supernaturally on the road to Damascus. Now let's look at this mystery. Verse 3, he mentions the word made known to me the mystery. But he's going to mention it again. Let's look at verse 4. He says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. What is this, some Agatha Christie thing? Or what's, there's something unveiled, you know, we got to figure out what it is. You know, what, it, what is the mystery? What is it? We like, we, people love that when you start talking about mysteries. What's the mystery? Well, thankfully, he answers it in the text. What is the mystery? Look at verses 5 and 6. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets in the Spirit. And look at the first three words of verse 6. To be specific. Here it is. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is this. They didn't see it in the old, they didn't see it coming in the Old Testament. 
but it's the body of Christ. It's the church. See, in first century, man, they were, they were waiting for the Messiah to come, free them from the tyranny of Rome, set up the kingdom. That's why the disciples says, hey, can I sit on your left? Can I sit on your right? Who's going to be the greatest? They didn't see it coming. But God, in, in the Abrahamic covenant, he says, you will be a blessing to all nations. And through you, I, I, I will bring blessings to the nation. It was through the gospel. But they weren't looking at that. It was, but this, this mystery is the body of Christ. Look at verse 6. That the Gentiles, that's you and I, were fellow heirs. The word heirs means one who receives an inheritance. We receive the inheritance and the blessings of God through Jesus Christ. Just like our Jewish believers, Jewish believers in Jesus do today when they trust in Christ. We're fellow heirs. We're, we receive the inheritance. We're fellow members of the body. That speaks of family. You know, we're family. We're one. God doesn't look down and see all these different denominations and all these different movements. God looks down from heaven and he sees one body. He sees one body and we're all family through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, uh, we're fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We get to partake of the promises of God's word because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He broke down this barrier. One more time, you know, we, we looked at this verse last week, but look, look to your left in your Bibles at chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Paul talks about this in the last chapter. He says in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who made both into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. This peace is not a salvation peace. This is a peace between the Jews and the Gentiles that, that Christ has broken down. He has broken down the barriers to where there's, there's one family through Christ Jesus. Verse 7 in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, Of which I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. God equipped Paul for the ministry. That's very important to see that in this verse, that, that, that God equipped Paul for, for, the, for this mission. It, it was not Paul's natural abilities. It was not his own ways of doing things. It was not, and, and we, can, we, can talk, we can say Paul, but we can also put ourselves in the same boat. And we can say this, it was not our upbringing that gifted us for the, for the ministry and for service to the Lord. It was not our education. It was not our thinking. I totally support higher education. I totally support higher Christian education. I did. I went out and got my Bible degree. And I think that's very important to uh, study the word and to show yourself approved. But my friend, uh, a certificate does not qualify you for ministry. A, a, a certificate, a degree does not qualify you. You need, according to verse 7, you need the, the that's important. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not disking that. I think that's very important. I believe all people should pursue education when they want to go into ministry so they, so they can know their Bible and know their word. But ultimately in verse 7, Paul is saying, according to the gifts of grace and according to the working of his power. My friend, we need in people in ministry that are serving that have the Holy Spirit's work in their life. They have the gifts 
of the Holy Spirit. At Calvary Chapel, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit endows people and gives people gifts that they previously did not have, that they use that gift to serve the body of Christ. It's something that the Holy Spirit deposits in each and every person in here. He gives you a gift so how you can serve the body. He empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to serve in the body of Christ. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister, not on his own accord, but according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So God equips people for ministry. And then we show ourselves faithful by studying and applying and, 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 and learning the scriptures. Verse 8, continuing on this theme of mission. Uh, we're going to see in verse 8 that, that, that this mission that Paul was on, that God placed him in, it produced a humility. A lot of times in scripture you'll see where Paul says, uh, I'm the least among the apostles. He like, he'll use that phrase a lot. But look at what he says in, in the opening of verse 8. He says, to me, the very least of who? All the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. It, it, this mission produced a humility. It, it, it produced a humility in Christ. Let's uh, bring up 1 Corinthians 4.1. Went to the pastor's conference uh, a month ago in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And David Gusick came out and preached to 100 pastors a solid one-hour sermon on this one verse. This, this is what he was preaching to us, and this is the philosophy of ministry of Calvary Chapel, that the pastor and that the leaders were not, were not up and looking down at the body, but were servants serving the body. He says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, let a man regard us. In other words, he's saying, let man see us in this way. Let us present this image. This is the image that we want to present for those who serve in, in the body of Christ. I use the word leadership lightly because I like the word servant. I'm a servant. Our people who oversee ministries are servants. And in Christianity overall, people that serve within the body are servants. But he said, let us, let, let our man guard us in this manner. As servants of Christ. Now, if you've studied the word servant, a lot of people have. The predominant word in the New Testament for servant, the Greek word is dionicus. But this word servant in 1 Corinthians 4.1 is actually, um, I did not write it down. I, I did not write it down. But anyway, if you go look at Blue Letter, Blue Letter Bible or look in your concordance, this word for servant in 1 Corinthians um, 4.1 is not Dionicus. It's a different word. Hoopa, hoopa something. Hoopa something. But anyway, um, it means an underroar. An underroar. It's that, it's a, the picture is that servant is that one in the bottom of the ship who's rowing. Y'all remember that movie Ben-Hur? Where they're going back and forth and the guys are underroars and they're keeping the ship going? Those were the servants. Those are the, the, what the Greek word is, is mentioned here for servants is. Huperitos. Thank you. Thank you. Got to make sure I write that down next time. But, uh, but that's, this mission 
produced humility in the Apostle Paul. He didn't see himself as high and lofty. He saw himself as serving the body of Christ. And he says, servants of Christ. We're underroars and stewards of the mysteries of God. And stewards means we, we handle, we, we present, we preach, we minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and the scriptures to people. But we're called to be servants. We're called to be that word. Thank you. That word. I went back and looked at what Chuck Smith said on this verse. Chuck Smith says, watch out for people who come into the church with a haughty attitude. Uh, they think they have, the, they have all the answers. They think they're wiser. They think they're smarter than everyone. He says, be careful with people like that. People that serve in the body of Christ need to have, be like Jesus, who came to seek and save the lost, who came to be a servant. That's what we're looking for in that word I loosely use called leadership. We're servants. We're servants. The, 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 the number one mark of a servant is humility. And humility is when we place other people first. So let the world see you in your everyday life in serving Christ in the community. Let hopefully people see you as this, as a servant of Christ. Let people see us in our church as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Amen? So mission. We're looking at Paul's mission. Verse 9. He says, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 is huge. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's like the beings in the heavenly places, angels and demons were like, whoa! I believe, based on verse 10, the church caught the forces of darkness all sides. This body of Christ that came after Jesus died and rose again and began to spread around the earth, they caught the forces of darkness all sides. Do you know the church has the ability to drive back the forces of hell? The, the, let me repeat that. The church has the ability to drive back the forces of hell and darkness in this world. That power is in this body, in this room, in this morning, and across many fellowships across the land today that are gathering. But we have the power. Prayer. Prayer drives back the forces of darkness. When we pray and we seek God and we intercede and we do heavenly spiritual warfare, we are driving back the forces of darkness. When we're praying for our children, when we're praying for the lost, you know, when we, when we lift up the name of Jesus and when we prayers, don't ever think that your prayers don't count or they're not heard. Sometimes you're just in battle. Sometimes you're just in battle for what you're praying for. Satan hates it when we pray. We drive back the forces of hell when we evangelize. When you share the gospel, when you speak the name of Jesus, you're driving back the forces of darkness. Because before people come to Christ, the Bible says there's scales over their eyes, they're living in darkness. But when you preach and you share the gospel with people 
you are penetrating the darkness. You are penetrating the darkness. We should always remember that, that, that when we pray and we, and we witness and we evangelize someone, we want to be praying for them. But also at the same time, we, want, we need to understand that as, as we evangelize them and we talk to them, we're penetrating the darkness. And just because somebody does not respond to your witness encounter, do not for one second believe that it was, all, that it was for nothing. I remember before I came to Christ, all the witness encounters. I remember being at Irmo High School, Stephen Williamson. He's a pastor over in Lexington now. He used to come up to me at school and give me gospel tracts and tell me, David, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it penetrated me, and I thought about it, but I loved my darkness, and I loved my way of life more than what Christ had to offer. My, I was still living in darkness, but it stuck with me. It stuck with me. I remember uh, one time I got off a ship in Norfolk, Virginia, and I was going down to Virginia Beach, and I was going somewhere I had no business. I should not be going. Just leave it at that. And I remember this young man handed me a gospel track, and I took that gospel track, and I stuck it in my back pocket and turned the corner, never saw him again. I don't remember what his face looks like, but went back to the ship that night, and um, in the Navy, we, li we, we live in coffin racks. Anybody here been in the Navy before? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you have a coffin rack. It's, it's literally shaped like a coffin, and you lift up your bed, and you pull the bar up, and you've got your spread of clothes, but that gospel track just, it impacted me so much that for the next couple of years, I laid it right there so I could see it every time I opened up my bunk to, to go into my rack. You know, I wanted the gospel, and God was drawing me, but, but what that young man did, it made an impact on me, and, and it's, it's very powerful. You know, the, the, um, we have the ability to drive back the forces of hell when we speak the word into darkness, when we, when we make a stand, when we make a voice, when we make our voice heard, whether it's speaking for Jesus, preaching the gospel, uh, making a public verbal stand for marriage or for the unborn we, we, we speak the word into darkness and we, we, we caught the forces of dark we catch the forces of darkness um, offside when we do that verse 11 in, in, the, in Paul's mission and this was according this was in accordance with the eternal purpose in which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in other words this was God's plan this was God's plan this was the grand scheme of things uh, the cross in Christianity was not plan B. It was plan A from before the foundation of the world began. But verse 12, he says, In whom we have boldness and confident access through our faith in him. Paul was humble, okay? Paul was humble. But some things he did not lack. He did not lack boldness, according to verse 12. He did not uh, lack confidence. He did not lack faith. He knew who he believed. He had this revelation. He knew it to be true. He knew it to be reality. And in that, it gave him a boldness and a confidence. And you and I can have that same boldness and that same confidence in our walk with Christ. That he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. When we see things going south with our children or with people we love, 
we cling to, we, we claim and we cling to the promises of God. And we have boldness and we have confidence in his word. In his word. That's, and, he, and he's not ashamed. Paul, Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. And neither can you or I be ashamed of the gospel. Because the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God and the salvation. And that's, that's, that's the boldness. That's the confidence he had. He, 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 Paul was, was, went through shipwrecks. He was bitten by snakes. He was, he was stoned to death. But what kept him going was he was a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission with boldness, confidence, and faith. And then in verse 13, he says, Therefore I ask you, do not, excuse me, therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on behalf, for they are for your glory. Paul, now where was Paul at when he wrote this? He was in prison. Go back and look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Was he really in prison? Yes. But look at what he says in verse 1. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, he doesn't say I'm a prisoner in Rome. Rome had him, but he didn't look at it that way. He looked at it like, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and there's nothing that's going to happen in this world that's going to separate me from my mission. So, life served him a lemon. What did he do? He made lemonade. Listen to Philippians 1.13. He's in his prison. He's under, he's under house arrest, according to Acts chapter 28. And so what does he do? He writes these four prison epistles that go out to all the churches. And he witnesses to the guards. Remember, they had arrested Paul for the gospel. They wanted, they, they wanted to shut the gospel down. And they, they arrested him. He appealed to Caesar. He, he went to Rome. But what they meant, what they meant to... Um, Stop the gospel. They actually advance the gospel. Philippians 1.13. He says, so that my in my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. I could just see those guards now. Some, some scholars say there was one guard that guarded him. Some say there was two. But they had to go through a rotation. And every four to six hours, new guards would come in. Give Paul two new fresh souls to witness to and share the gospel with. He says, the, he says the, the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. This was written somewhere 50, 60 A.D. What happened 240 years later, 250 years later? Christianity became the official religion of the Roman world. And it all started right here with Paul preaching the gospel there at Rome. And bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He was a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission. There's so much here that we could learn from. That we could, and some, and some people would even say that, well that was Paul. This is me today. This is different. Paul was talking about himself. I want to skip down a couple of verses. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. We're going to go through verses 14 and 15, but look at verse 16. So that he would grant who? You. This is for us. This is for us. So Paul says, this is the mission I'm on, but now, church of Ephesus, I'm going to make this prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer for you, that you will have the same heart as me in, in, in serving the Lord and being on mission. Look at verse 14. This is Paul's, verses um, 
14 through 21 is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians. And let it, as we study it this morning, let it be our prayer. Let it be our prayer for us, for you this morning. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Right there, he says, I bow my knee. You know, there's something very important about our physical posture in prayer. I remember growing up in, with my grandparents, and every night my grandfather would go to the foot of his bed, and he would bow his knee, and he would, be, he would pray. He would get on his knees, and his prayer would echo throughout the house. And, of course, living there from time to time, you would pass by the room and you would see he would be down on his knees. There's something very important about our posture. Sometimes in my study, sometimes when I'm preparing for sermons or I'm praying about things, I will get on my face. I will physically get on my face in my study and cry out to the Lord. I think there's something very humbling. You know, I think it's okay to let's bow our heads and let's pray. But I think it's equally important to get down on our knees. And say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I lift up my children. I lift up this situation. I pray, God, that you will just do a mighty work. Sometimes we need to get on our face and cry out to God and, and ask him to work in our life. But I believe our posture is very important. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Talking about the, the families that have gone before us and the families today. Verse 16, not just for Paul, not just for the Ephesian Christians, but for us. Verse 16 says that he would grant you, that's you and I, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Do you know God is rich? God is rich. He is the richest being in the universe. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in love. He's rich in grace. He's rich in power, and all we have to do is become believers in Jesus Christ and humbly submit to him. And he imparts that to our lives. To be strengthened with power through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in our inner man. He pours it out into us and gives us this same, this, this same Holy he, he gives us the Holy Spirit that produces the same mission in our lives so that we're not operating on feelings as Ken Graves would call it but we're operating on mission we're operating on what we believe verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love I love that word dwell there that word dwell means to make yourself at home you know Christ needs to we need Christ to come into our hearts and make himself at home, to, to dwell. You know, if you, don't, if you don't have this, the rest of this means nothing. Because Christ has got to be in our hearts, and he needs to dwell there. He needs to make himself at home so that through faith that you may be rooted and grounded in love. When Christ is at home in our hearts, one of the evidences is we'll have and we'll exhibit the love of God to the world around us. Will exhibit the, the love of Christ when he's dwelling there. That's one of the signs of being a Christian is that we love one another and we love and we care for people, all people. Verse 18 may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and width 
and height and depth and to know, here it is, the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. Christ's love is defined at cross, is defined at the cross. His love is displayed in the life he lived that we've learned through, through the Gospels and through the New Testament. And that love comes through us, through us studying God's word and us being filled and yielded to the Holy Spirit. And he says, and, and, he, and I like how he uses the word know because he says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Some people like to say, well, you can't know God. Yes, you can. They say, some people say God is just so high and lofty and far off and distant. There's no way to know him. That's wrong. That's not true. We can know God. We can know him, and we can know him by studying his word. We can have knowledge of who he is by studying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is God, and he teaches us who, who God is, and, and, and we know the love of Christ. That, that, and that, look what it says. What does that the love of Christ do? It surpasses knowledge. So what he's saying there is, it's more important to it's more important in our Christian walk that we display the love of Christ than our knowledge. You know, we've heard that old saying: people don't they don't care how much you know, they care how much you care, and how much you care for people. We display our knowledge, we display our theology by how we care for people and how we interact with people. That's very important, that, that we display our love and our care for people through the love of Christ. And it surpasses all knowledge. Verse 20, let's wrap this up. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. You know, we've got to be people of prayer. We gotta be people of prayer is what the verse is saying. We he, and he can, and he can do uh, more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Our little five ounces of brain and all the knowledge and understanding we have is nothing compared to God's omniscience and who He is, and and He is able to answer prayer. He He, he is able to. We're able to call on him, this God that we know, in prayer, in accordance with scripture, and we can expect God to answer. Because it says he can, uh, he'll, he, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, he can do it all. He is all sufficient, all powerful. And Paul closes in verse 21. He says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love how he says this. In Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This scripture was um, written by the Apostle Paul in the first century under house arrest in Rome to the church at Ephesus to be circulated. But these words that we're reading and studying this morning apply to us today they apply to us today uh, to all generations forever and ever amen to him be the glory let our lives be like scripture says and paul describes in his let our lives 
be lives that bring him honor, that bring him glory, and that show that we are on mission. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for this mission, Paul's mission statement, that his job was to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. His gospel was to show that there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we, we, we thank you, Father, that you've called us today to be on mission, to be on mission to bring the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. Help us to do that. Father, give us, a, give us all here a mission. Let this be our mission to take your gospel to the ends of the world and let it start in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and let us touch those people around us in the same way Paul touched these 